Evening church. Tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, No, it says Jessica on the... uh, Well, it doesn't, but it may... Thanks, Adam. Good evening, everyone. Good evening to you guys at home as well. Thank you for tuning in. You can see that we have started a series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We started last week looking at the the Beatitudes, and then tonight, obviously, we're going to the next paragraph. This will take us all the way up to just before Christmas. We may or may not finish the Sermon on the Mount before Christmas. Come December, we'll take a break and do some Christmassy things in the Gospel of Matthew, particularly chapters 1 and 2. And then come January, we'll probably jump back into the Sermon on the Mount, or if we haven't finished it, and then the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. We're planning at this stage to primarily be in the Gospel of Matthew for most of next year in the evening service. So we're going to follow the ups and downs and the themes and the passages as Matthew has presented them to us. So I'm going to invite you to bear with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Again, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity. It is a privilege and it is a blessing. So easy for us to take it for granted. And Lord, here we are tonight, uh, tuned in and wanting to connect in with you particularly. As Brendan prayed, Lord, Open our hearts, open our ears, help us to think about this, your word, and what difference it ought to be making in our lives as we seek to follow Jesus. Uh, So we thank you for this opportunity and pray that you will speak to us by your spirit through your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Salt and light is a brilliant heading for you. This passage and the Beatitudes, in fact implies that there are two kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of this world and there is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Jesus. And also the kingdom of God is being spread through the followers of the Lord Jesus. Um, The kingdom of God is made visible in this world through both the church, but really through us individually and as we gather as the church. It's those, as it says in the Beatitudes, who are poor in spirit, who mourn over their sin, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they're the ones who are bringing the kingdom. As God is changing them, so God will be influencing the world. And that's the point of this metaphor tonight, of these two things, uh, salt and light. There is obviously a um, conflict between these two kingdoms and... In the midst of this, as we sincerely, genuinely follow Jesus, as we demonstrate a beatitude lifestyle, 
then at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you'll be in conflict with this world. Uh, he says, verses 11 and 12, at the end of the Beatitudes, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil things against you falsely because of me. As we follow Jesus, we're going to run into opposition. We're going to run into the wall of where the world, uh, through its indifference, will simply reject the gospel, the truth about who Jesus is, or through even activity, they can be opposing it, and maybe even through hostility, they will seek to remove it. They will persecute you, whether it's verbally or physically or however that manifests itself. Jesus indicates that it's going to be tough following him in this world. And so these two images, salt and light, that Jesus now goes on to talk about, is giving another dimension to the influence or the response of the world too followers of Jesus. There's persecution, rejection. But there is also a positive impact where it even ends with verse 16 of saying, people will see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. So opposition, as well as for some, there'll be an impact, there'll be acceptance and there'll be a transformation in their life as well. So it comes down to us being genuine followers of the Lord Jesus. Um, Let me jump into this. Jesus says, verse 13, and we're going to be in verse 13 for a little while. You are the salt of the earth. You are. Not, not you have the salt of the earth. It's not something that is given to us that we possess, that we can use to pass on to somebody else. It's something that we are and that we are really in the process of becoming more and more. You are presently, continuously, the salt of the earth. It's not something that you are to become later. You are that right now, but you'll become increasingly effective. You are kingdom people if you know Jesus and seek to follow him. And, you know, what's the old kid song? Things are different now. Something's happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Do you know that song? Probably not. Only those of my age are going to know that song. Lives change when we know Jesus. And that's what he's building on here when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is small, but it's incredibly influential. There are several uses for salt in the scriptures. It's used uh, with sacrifices. It's even used to pay wages. It's uh, used when a baby was born in Ezekiel chapter 16. They would wrap it with salt. They'd cover it with salt as a hygienic type thing to get rid of any germs or bacteria or anything else to try and preserve the life of the little newborn. But its primary uses are these two. It's both a preservative, pre-refrigeration, and it's also something to add seasoning or zest to life. Um, you are the salt of the earth. It's without boundaries. Wherever you go, it's not just simply you're the salt for Jewish people, it's you're the salt of the earth. You have an influence wherever you are and wherever you go. Salt is a preservative. <clears throat> As I said, before refrigeration, before freezing, this is what people would do with that. And they still do it today in parts of the world. South Africa, you can kill your meat, kill your animal and slice up the meat into appropriate strips and then they cover it with salt. Or the fishermen would do it with their fish just to preserve it so that it can be used on long trips. And there's no, you know, best before date with that sort of stuff. It just lasts for a very long time. 
Salt being a preservative is both a negative, but it also has a positive influence that we'll come to. In this case, preservative is the negative part. As salt, we are to hinder or slow or prevent the process of decay. Jesus using this metaphor, we are the salt of the earth, implies that the world is decaying, that it's bad, that if you leave it alone, if you put meat on a bench and you leave it alone, what happens? Well, it'll eventually go off and stink. So will the world. Left alone, the world will naturally deteriorate. It's on that sort of process. And God, through his common grace, has put organisations and institutions into the world to slow that process. Not to stop it, but to slow it down. Think of people, uh, institutions and organisations like the police, like human government, education, nurses and doctors and all the medical stuff. Even the people who are involved in music and entertainment who write, do movies and all of that is a gift of God's common grace to us in a fallen world where without God's common grace we would really degenerate into a human putrid mess. We are sinful and we can't stop the process. And that's why Jesus came, to institute a change, to save us out of this. And Jesus is saying, if you know me and if you follow me, if, you're true, if your heart attitude is like the Beatitudes, then you are the salt of the earth. God's going to use you wherever he places you to be a deterrent, to have an impact upon family, upon friends, upon work colleagues, if you're on a team for sport, wherever, you'll have an influence. Um, it'll affect just by you being a genuine follower, that's the condition, of the Lord Jesus, you will have a preserving impact upon society. That's why God has placed you there. Um, it's when we stand for God, then we <clears throat> create a bit of a situation or a soil where uh, decay can't progress as rapidly or as quickly. Doesn't stop it, just slows it down. There's a story in Judges chapter 9 of a king, Abimelech, who conquers Shechem. And when he has conquered it and uh, taken control of it, he salts the city. He puts salt everywhere. His intention was that he didn't want that city to regenerate. He didn't want that city to grow back and to become an influence in the future. The salt would stop its future influences. And Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. As you follow me, so you will have an impact, an influence for good, in the negative sense of stopping some bad things. I don't know if you've had the experience, I hope you have, I expect you would have, that you'll be in a group of people and they'll be talking and if they tell a dirty joke or if they speak inappropriately, then they'll suddenly, if you're being true to who Jesus is, they will either apologise or stop it or both. It doesn't work all the time. There are some people who are quite defiant, aren't they? They will sin and be very proud of it. But I've certainly had lots of people uh, stop and say, sorry, I know you don't like that. It's, as you're being who you are in Jesus, you've got to be real. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be fair income. It's not us being morally superior. That's not it at all, because we know how sinful we are. Um, and probably it's, it's fair to say too that we feel often just isolated and small and frail and insignificant. What can we do when, such, when th so many things are going bad? 
Well, that's a lie of Satan who wants you to think that, no, you need large numbers and you need political power and you need to be able to do this to make a difference. Jesus doesn't say that. He says to 12 disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. And look at the influence they have had throughout history. That's passed on from generation to generation to generation. So firstly, we are the salt of the earth. Second thing, not only preservative, but it's a seasoning. Salt adds flavour to the food that we eat. Job chapter 6, verse 6, in fact, says that. Who eats tasteless food without salt? I don't know if you add salt to your food. Most of us would. If you watch MasterChef, which we love to watch, then they're always throwing in salt. They even have a special way that they can pinch it and they can drop it from there and it all just lands exactly where it should land. I've done that. It goes on the bench, goes on the floor, and it goes everywhere. So I'm still mastering my skills of salting my food. Because of a high blood pressure, I'm not supposed to add too much salt to my food. But the Bible says salt is good. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. We had a steak sandwich for lunch today, homemade. It was magnificent, wasn't it? Rhonda prepared the salad. I, burnt the, I cooked the steaks. We had tomato. What did I add to the tomato? Tomato, yes, salt. And a bit of pepper. Tomatoes are not tomatoes anymore. When I was a kid, I said this a couple of weeks ago in the morning service, there is a tomato you can buy which has a genuine tomato flavour. It's more expensive and it's almost a dark brownie colour. You can buy them in supermarkets. Tomatoes today are bland. You need to add salt to it to get the flavour to come out of it. That's certainly what I find. When I was a kid, this is what I said a couple of weeks ago, you could, my dad grew tomatoes. You could rip it off the vine and quite literally eat it like fruit. Hmm. And it was flavoursome. And when we got sunburnt, you would take a tomato, you'd cut it in half. Who's done this? Was has done this. And you would rub the tomato on the sunburnt area. And whatever is in the juice of the tomato, it actually uh, relieves and removes the sting out of the skin. Have you done that? Oh, do it. Get sunburnt, grab a tomato and <laughs> scrub it in. See how you go. So it's a seasoning. That's the point. Salt is a seasoning. That means that we as followers of the Lord Jesus are adding zest to life. Christians are supposed to be people who have life and have it abundantly. Some Christians I know look like they've actually sucked lemons rather than adding zest to life. But there is this verse in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. This is Peter's testimony. Now you think about your life and as you follow Jesus and see if this is true for you. Jesus, Peter says, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And even uh, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Is that your experience? This is normal. Christianity. You haven't seen him, you love him, even though you haven't seen him yet, you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. There is this inner welling up of zest for life, that you enjoy life and you enjoy life's experiences. That's what we are to be as salt and light. Um, which means, of course, that we have to be genuine. 
I'm in the process of writing some different things for the, the bulletin and a few other things as well, and I um, went on a slight tangent this week, and I wrote that, and I just pulled it out of my notes. Let me read this to you. Can I remind you that Jesus went to parties, holidays, festivals, and he travelled? He worked till he was 30, or just over 30, and then he took a three-year sabbatical. He ate with the Pharisees, but he preferred tax collectors and sinners. He did what the father wanted, not what his mum and brothers wanted. He never disrespected anyone and he spoke the truth to everyone. He was fair, he was impartial and he was merciful. He was comfortable in who he was and he focused on doing exactly what God wanted him to do, 100%. He did not please people, but he pleased God, always. And he had a zest for life. Jesus is the perfect example. He's the perfect human and how he lived is how God wants us to be living. My pastor, before I went to theological college, he said this to me when I first heard it. I was horrified, and I have since come to realise that my pastor was exactly right. He could imagine Jesus walking around with the 12 disciples as they're going from place to place. Jesus would be at the top of the hill, and he'd elbow Peter in the ribs and say, race you to the bottom. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? Race you to the bottom. And I went, no, Jesus was serious and, you know, was very concerned. Ah, Jesus loved life. And people, that's why he got to the wedding with his disciples. He was great company to hang around. And that's what Jesus is saying. We ought to be, we are salt. And salt is for the benefit of adding zest to life, to enjoy all that God gives us, to add to the experiences of life. Colossians 4, 6 that we, says that we are to in the context of relating to those who don't know Jesus, that our speech is always to be seasoned with salt, which Paul explains in another part of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. If our speech is seasoned with salt, then it's Ephesians 4, 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. No unwholesome talk. Helpful talk, positive talk. can be corrective and it can be confrontive, but it's the truth and it's spoken in love. Salt, adding zest to life. Of course, you can add too much salt, can't you? And when you add too much salt to food, then all you taste is the salt. So that's a little bit like us. When we talk too much or when we push the gospel, we push talking about Jesus in an unnatural, uninvited way onto other people, then it's like too much salt and it becomes unattractive, not attractive. People don't think you're being religious, they just think you're being weird. Jesus goes on to tell us in this passage something can happen to salt. You're the salt of the earth um, but salt can lose its saltiness. Now technically it can't it's a stable compound. But what Jesus is referring to when speaking, as people would understand it quite easily, is that salt becomes, so to speak, less salty when it's mixed with impurities, when it's watered down, when it's compromised. It's not as tangy and it's not as effective. It's quite different to the salt that we have on our tables these days. Salt can lose its saltiness. We, when we cease to be different, when we cease to be different, then we cease to be effective. The world will want to compromise us. They will want us not to be different. 
They'll suggest things and they'll bribe and they will maybe even blackmize or whatever or tone it down or they'll seek to direct us. And nor does Jesus mean to go around boasting and bragging saying, I'm different. It's not that. It's be salt, be real, just like Jesus was. Be who you are in him. Just be fair income. You're not perfect, nor am I. And you'll make mistakes and you'll stumble. But then you deal with it in a godly way. You confess, you own up. And it's seeking to be consistent with that. We live in the world. Jesus has deliberately left us in the world and placed us in the world to be different in the world, to be a preservative and to be seasoning, amongst other things, but certainly those two things. This is the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. When Jesus uh, was about to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays this. Um, Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. It's different. My prayer is not that you'll take them out of the world, but that you'll protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. How do we maintain our saltiness? How do we maintain our effectiveness of being the influence in this world that... God desires for us to have well Jesus gives us a clue in here it's by prayer it's being protected from the evil one it's his word truth it's his word and truth sanctifying us and it's being sent being aware that uh, we're on a mission we can maintain our saltiness by avoiding diluting it diluting our our lifestyle and our maintaining purity of doctrine if you like not believing error, not compromising with sin, but denouncing it and confessing and forsaking it, not failing to practice what we preach, not failing to practice what we read or believe, but being consistent with it. That will help us to preserve our saltiness, to stay submitted, committed, obedient, loyal to him. And he will continue to replenish us, fill us, fill us and strengthen us. Then Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Whoops, the world is in day, I did that one. You are the light of the world. Just to emphasise that again, you are. Not you will become, not... He doesn't say the scriptures are the light of the world. The Bible certainly does say that, you know, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But Jesus doesn't say that to them. He says, you are the light of the world. We, by our life and example, by our words and by our deeds, are a light to people living in darkness. That's the point. That's what Jesus is saying his disciples are. Trouble is, we do live in a dark world. And the trouble for us is we're becoming accustomed to the darkness, tempted to compromise, to lower the standards. Nobody will know. I've lived long enough to know that the world has changed and declined. The standards are much looser. And for you young people, you won't be aware of that probably yet you might be but as you go through another couple of decades you'll see the standards will continue to drop 
Just what the Bible says, things will get worse and worse, not better and better. That's why it's important for us, the church, to be salt and light in this dark and decaying world. We are the light of the world. Again, you see, it's the whole world. It's not just our culture, not just our country. It's worldwide. Um, when Jesus says you are the light of the world, he, of course, at one point said that he was the light of the world, which I want to come to. But the word in Greek for light is a word from which we get our word photograph. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility to think that what Jesus is saying, you're my photo to the world. When the world looks at you and you following me, they see me. They see a glimpse of what I'm like. And light reveals truth as well as it exposes darkness. Well, the Lord Jesus is the one who said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. And now in this passage, he's saying, we are the light of the world. Just like we can't look at the sun because it's too hard and too bright, so people can't look at Jesus in all of his glory. It's too bright, it's too difficult, it's impossible for us to do. But we can all look at the moon, and we do. And we love the moon, I love the moon, and I'm fascinated by it. But the moon is simply reflecting, as you know, the light of the sun into a dark world. So too, people can look at the moon, people can look at us. And all we're doing is reflecting the light of Jesus into a dark world. But a moon can go through an eclipse. And a moon goes through an eclipse when the earth comes between the sun and the moon. We eclipse spiritually in our life when the world, the earth, comes between us and the sun. S-O-N, Jesus. Why do we allow that to happen? Well, Mark, Jesus says that in the uh, parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verse 19. <clears throat> he talks about the seed was sown and it went out on soil that was shallow. And the cares of this world, the deceit of riches, and the desire for other things choke the word, causes a spiritual eclipse, causes the light to be covered, hidden, not as effective. Jesus says, because you are the light, you're supposed to shine. It's not supposed to be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden in daytime or nighttime. You can't hide it. It's clear to everybody. So it's to be clear to everybody that we are followers of the Lord Jesus. Nobody lights a lamp, Jesus says, or a light to put it under a basket or a bowl or a bucket or whatever. You don't light a light to conceal the light. Nobody does that. But if salt can lose its saltiness, so light can be concealed. There are several reasons why people conceal their light. Fear of offending. Fear of what other people will think or say. Fear of the consequences of you following Jesus. Loss of job, loss of promotion. Whatever it is, not being accepted by peers. That fear is a cover to the light that should be shining out. Unconfessed sin is a, a bowl that covers the light. Confess it, forsake it, and shine. Jesus doesn't invite us to be chandeliers, big brining spotlights. He invites us to be just normal little light globes. And Rick Warren says, what's the most important light globe in his house? For him... It's the little light globe in the hallway that 
is on all night and it guides him when he wants to go to the toilet at two or three o'clock in the morning. That's the most important light in the house. Little, but effective. Light shining in the darkness. You following Jesus and being consistent with it and true. Jesus says, no, you light a light, you light the lamp and you put it on a stand. Why? So that everybody in the house can see it. So that everybody in the house, if you know Jesus and if you're following him, your light is to shine in the house, in your family, where you are. I did that, why people cover the light. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 5 and those references talk about our responsibilities in the family, that we're to manage it well, to be an example at home. And in fact, even if you have unbelievers in your family, as I do, then you have a responsibility to care for them, front line. And if you don't, then you're worse than an unbeliever. The light that shines brightest at home shines furthest. Well... Everybody in the house needs to know you follow Jesus. In the same way he says, let your light shine before others. So that they can see your good works and not glorify you, but be impressed by God in you and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Just in the next chapter, in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus will say, Make, be very careful not to do your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. So you're not doing it in order to get noticed for you to be glorified. Do your works visibly and publicly, but with a motivation to simply being, I just want to follow Jesus. Whether you thank me or notice me is inconsequential. I'm trying to please God and be obedient to him. And Jesus says, God will use that to impact people's lives and they won't be persecuting you, they'll be attracted to God through you and they'll glorify your heavenly Father who is in heaven. So, out of this passage so far, this is how we get blessed in this world, by living a life of the Beatitudes, being people who pour in spirit, mourn over sin, hunger and thirst for righteousness, seek to be peacemakers in this world. This is how we influence the world in which we live, wherever it is, being salt and being light. And this is how God is glorified in us and through us, by us doing the follow-up with the good works. Billions of people are in darkness. And in your life, hundreds of people whom you know are in darkness. They need to see the crystal clear light of Jesus, the picture of Jesus in you. That's where you come in. Are you a person who is in spiritual eclipse? You've let the world come between you and you reflecting the light of Jesus? Well, if that's the case, tell someone and pray together. Don't leave tonight and go home and not address the issue. Confess and forsake it. Maybe you're hiding your light. Something's going on, whatever it is. Same deal. Put it right. Don't leave tonight without praying, talking, deciding to do something about it. Or it might be that you don't know Jesus personally, that the way the Beatitudes describe his followers is not true for you. So we're not talking about churchy entity, we're talking about Christ in us entity. It's a relationship with Jesus and he changes us, 
forgives us, but he's transforming us as we cooperate with him. And we can have an impact upon those around us. May God bless you and speak to you. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might draw people to the Father. Don't let us, Lord, leave here tonight the same. Can you do business with us and help us to be salt and light at home, at work, wherever it is that you have placed us for your purposes and for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Daryl. Please stand with us as we close the service. You stood before creation. stand.